Hey, this is Keith. I'm the pastor of Blaze Church. Welcome to our podcast. I know today's message is going to inspire you, encourage you, and lead you to know God more. If you want to connect with us, visit us online at blazechurch.org. Enjoy today's message. All right, one more time. Let's give it up for our dads. Man, we're thankful for you guys and hope that you have an awesome, awesome day. Well, again, if we haven't met, my name is Keith, and it really is a privilege to serve as lead pastor here at Blaze Church, and really want to say thank you to every one of you for investing time with us this morning, praying that you get to know God more and his love for you more, and if it is your first time, seriously, thank you for being with us. Stop by our Connect area. We're continuing this series, as I shared, called Backyard Church, where we really want to look at the words of Jesus, where he says, love your neighbor as yourself, And ask the question, what if he means my literal neighbor, the person who lives in close proximity to me, the person who doesn't take care of their lawn when I do, the person who comes home way too late at night and everybody knows it? What if it's that person that he's calling us to love? And we have a vision here at our church that when Jesus said, go into all the nations and make disciples, that's so overwhelming if we look at it as how are we going to reach everybody? But God has called us to reach our neighbors, starting in our own neighborhoods, wherever you live. And I just want to say, just because it's called Backyard Church, if you don't actually have a literal backyard, you do not get a pass on this one, all right? You're like, man, this has been a great month for me. I don't even own a backyard. Uh, This is just the way we packaged it, but it's really about us taking ownership of our neighborhoods. And like we read in the first week in Acts, it says that God has determined the boundaries and the times where we should live. And that truth should fill us with so much joy that God has called you to live where you live today. And it's not based on your budget or the school system or the house or the floor plan. God actually has a plan for you and your family to make a difference in that community. So we're going to continue today by looking at another barrier. Last week, we talked about the time barrier. And so if, like me, you've ever said, I can't share my faith because I don't have enough time, we talked all about that last week. But today, we're going to talk about another barrier. And before we do, I want to ask you a question. You can kind of reflect on this or answer out loud if you'd like. Would you say that the news fills us up with faith or with fear? Bueller? All right, everybody did. Yeah, right? Just listen, how many of you, after watching some news in the morning, you you turn it off and say, you know what? Everything's going to be okay. (laughs) The world is spinning in the best direction possible. I have full confidence in this day. Nothing wrong is going to happen. I am so fueled up with joy and hope right now. This is Awesome. That's probably not your response after taking in a little bit of news. Because what happens is we turn it on and we walk away saying this, oh my goodness, there are crazy people everywhere. And they probably live next door to me. They, they, there's, just, there's crazy people doing crazy things and you can never know who your neighbor is. And I'm just so filled with fear now. And it's not just news, but think about it, Netflix and media and the stuff that we are shown and consuming It all creates for us what I'll call the lens of fear, the perspective through which we look and see the world around us. This word fear becomes our lens. How many of you guys remember or watch 24? Anybody? Right? That's still my ringtone. Okay, still just CTU. 
But I remember one season where it was just these normal neighbors. And then by episode three, you realize, oh my goodness, they're the terrorists. And then you start to think, maybe my neighbors are the terrorists, right? And all of a sudden you filter life through this lens because it's what's shown to us. And now listen, are there really people that we should not get too close to? Of course, we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But we've been conditioned to accept the exception and create a rule out of it and say, well, I don't know who's crazy, who's weird, who, who might have just very harmful intentions. And so I'm going to get in my house as fast as possible, close the door and not look back. And we allow fear to be our lens. And of course, we're talking about fear in the context of sharing our faith and loving our neighbors. But really, guys, can't we all agree? We have been living in a season where fear has gripped so many of us. And I say us, right? Since last spring, especially, just fear and afraid of the unknown and and how we kind of get outside and be around people and navigate life, fear has gripped us. And maybe today that's you. You just look at your life and the way you make decisions and how you make choices. And if you're honest, you filter everything through a lens of fear. And my prayer for you today and what we've been praying all week, my wife Amy and I, is that today would be a freedom day for you. That it would be a day where you take one step further away from the lens of fear and move towards the place that God has created for you to live in. Now, what is fear? How do we define it? And I came across this acronym that maybe you've heard before, and I like the way it's described. Fear is false evidence appearing real. It's false evidence that appears real. When I'm afraid of something, I'm believing in evidence that I believe to be true, but if I actually think about it, it's probably not going to happen. In fact, there was a recent study where they surveyed a whole bunch of people, asked them what their fears were, and the results of the survey showed that 85% of what that group feared could never happen. Isn't that wild to think about? 85% of the fears could not take place. And I know what you're thinking. Um, Pastor Keith, that still leaves 15%. And I'm pretty sure my neighbors fall into the 15% category. And what am I supposed to do with that? And how do I overcome that? Or maybe you're thinking this in this moment. All right, are you really just calling me to abandon all reason, all logic, just walk by faith, not by sight, put a Christian bumper sticker on my door and just kind of go that way and and not think about anything? The answer is no. What I love about having an ongoing personal relationship with Jesus is that the Holy Spirit gives us gifts, and produces fruit in our lives so that we can live for him. And two of the gifts that God gives his people are the gifts of wisdom and discernment. And those are great gifts for the Holy Spirit to give us as we begin to love our neighbors. Because I've experienced in my life, and I've seen it in my wife's life, times where she has felt God say, go over to this person, share some money share a hug, love this person who is so marginalized and cast out. And she's done that, and it's been beautiful. And then there's been times where we've thought about it and said, hey, there's someone over there. Should we go pray for him? And we just felt in our hearts, no, just just pray from where you are. It's called wisdom and discernment. 
So please hear me because I will not answer your lawsuit, okay? I am not calling you to go and just find the shadiest looking house on your block and be like, well, Pastor said, I got to do this. Pray, okay? Use some wisdom and some discernment and God will give us that. But maybe like me, too often, it is not healthy, rational fear, but it's self-produced fear that is irrational that keeps us stopped. Now, I want to share with you a story from this past week. So you're not looking at me up here saying, oh, this guy must have it all figured out. He never gets afraid. No, no. This is this past week, everybody. So we have our barbecue small group that happens on Monday nights. People come over. We're grilling. We're talking about God's word, going through the Lord's prayer. And this past week on Monday, I cooked a lot of burgers and hot dogs because I grew up in a home where you didn't know who was going to come. So if 10 were coming, you cook for 30, right? Just got some extra food. And so as we were cleaning up, we noticed that outside in front of our house, there were some construction workers doing some work. My wife and my four-year-old girl said, hey, what if we bring them the extra food we have sitting here, a whole bunch of hamburgers and hot dogs? And my response was, we can't do that. They're going to think we're weird. Weird people bring strangers food And I started going through all the rational in my head and out loud to them. They're not going to accept it. That's not, no, they're busy. It's not, I'm going to have to walk back here with the food and look so silly because I did that. And my little four-year-old girl so adamantly just says, Daddy, when are we going to bring them the food? And here's what I did. I took the food and I threw it out. Yeah, you can all guess. That's your pastor. I need serious healing today. I threw it out. And here's why. Because I, if we are to take Jesus' words literally, and if we are to love our neighbor as ourself, there are going to be moments where we would rather embrace fear because we are conditioned to from the news, from media, from our own internal thoughts, or we can live out God's best for our lives and experience the blessing of loving some people. How many think that's a better way to live our life? To begin loving others in our neighborhood. So we've talked a lot about us, and I've talked too much about me. Let's talk about some other people because that's way more fun. Let's talk about the Jewish people from thousands of years ago. So God made a promise to the Jewish people that he would bless them. And it came through a man named Abraham. He said that I'm going to bless you and through you the whole world will be blessed. And then something weird happens. The Jewish people are enslaved by Egypt for hundreds of years, which doesn't feel too much like God's blessing in that moment. But then God sends a man named Moses. You might be familiar with his story. And he goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And through all these miraculous signs, Pharaoh relents. They cross the Red Sea. And then God meets them at Mount Sinai, located just next to Rocky Point. Thank you for the pity laughter. He meets them there and gives them the Ten Commandments and tells them, here's the best way for you to live your life. Don't steal. Don't kill each other. Don't want what your neighbor has. Beautiful ways and values to live and then brings them to the promised land. And they are on the edge of receiving the blessing that God promised to give them, this beautiful land. But like us, they embrace a lens of fear instead of going where God calls them to go. And I want to show you what their encounter was like. So we're going to read from Numbers chapter 13. And if you don't own a Bible, we have some in the back. You can take one when you leave today. But we'll also have scripture right up here on the screen for you. Numbers 13, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. I want you to focus on what's in yellow there. 
God says, send some men out to this land and I'm giving it to you. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So if God says, go do something, and he says, I'm giving you what you need to accomplish the doing, do you think that his reason for saying, send 12 leaders out was so that they might come back with a lens of fear or so that they might be so filled with faith to say, wow, God, you're giving us this. This is awesome. Because when someone gives you something, the only thing you have to do is receive it. A gift is simply received and enjoyed by taking it. And God says, I'm giving this land to you. Now send some people out to see what it looks like. And so Moses does that. He rallies up one leader from each tribe. There was 12 of them. And here's Moses' words to them, very detailed. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Can you do microgreens? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So Moses simply says this, go check it out. That's all he's saying. God's giving us this and we want to know what it's like. Check out the people, check out the cities, check out the soil. I like grapes, bring me back some. Like Moses, he's simply just, just go check it out. That's it. And so these 12 leaders go for 40 days, they check it out, and they come back and report what they saw. And here's what they say. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. Come on, they come back and they are so excited. Moses, we went to the land. It's exactly, we had so much Honey Nut Cheerios there. It was the best time. Here's the fruit. We brought you back grapes. It's awesome. It's exactly what God said and God is giving it to us. Man, this is great. Except for the next word. Verse 28 starts off with this word. But, but the people who live there well, you just told me everything was great. You said it's exactly how God described. There's, there's milk, there's honey, there's fruit. It's, and that phrase, milk and honey, simply means it's, it's productive. It's the ground's producing. It's flourishing. It's blessed. Yeah, but there's people, and we've all read the Daily Egypt newspaper. We, we've all seen what these people are like, and they're powerful, and the cities, they're fortified. And they're very large. And we even saw descendants of Anak there. Now, cities are fortified and the descendants of Anak. Scholars say that the cities at this point would have walls around them that were 20 feet thick and 27 feet in height. That's pretty fortified. And the descendants of Anak were abnormally tall, large humans ranging from seven to nine feet in height. So yeah, when they get there and they see past the milk and the honey and the grapes they begin to see some very large people and some very large walls. But that lens was not theirs to bring back with them. Their experience and what they saw was not to be a lens that they adopt 
through which they see the command of God. God said, go into the land, I'm giving it to you. And they come back and say, we can't do that. The land is filled with giants and big walls. But there was one man named Caleb who spoke up. Caleb silenced the people before Moses. And he said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. Now, what was it that made Caleb different than the other leaders that were sent out? Was it that he had more of God's favor, more of God's grace? No, it was none of that. He chose to see the command of God through God instead of through a lens of fear that could be created by what he saw around him. He chose to look through a vertical lens instead of looking through a horizontal lens. And the other leaders saw what they saw around them and it paralyzed them because fear is false evidence appearing real. And even though God said, go do this, what they saw were giants and tall walls and they thought we can't go do this. Instead, we'll stop. We'll be paralyzed. The truth becomes distorted. It's everything that fear does. And here's what I'm praying for Blaze Church that we would embrace this Caleb attitude. That as God calls you to follow him, to love your neighbor, as you take in news reports or scroll through social media or, or watch a Netflix original and there's something in you that's welling up and it's fear and it's anxiety and it's worry and it's doubt, that in that moment you understand as a child of God that you have the freedom by the power of the Holy Spirit to say, I'm not called to live under fear. I've got power, I've got love, I've got a sound mind. And again, that does not mean disregard logic, but it means go to God and his word and his principles for our lives. And I'm praying that today, if there's fear in your life, not just about sharing love with your neighbors, but in your life, that it would begin to be broken this morning as we read God's word. So Caleb speaks up, but how many would agree? Even if you speak up in faith, there's a whole lot more voices speaking up in fear. And there was a whole lot more leaders that were saying something else. But the other men who had explored the land, they disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. Do you sense and see that there might be a little bit of exaggeration starting to take place in their speech? All of a sudden now everybody is huge. The land is, what are, these like, what are those swamp pits in the princess bride, right? Like, all of a sudden the land is just going to start devouring people. Like, what, where is this coming from? And then they say this, and I want you to focus on verse 33. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. Something really interesting about that last statement. In fact, just look, we're going to have it just on the screen. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. So I have a couple questions here. Maybe I'm just taking this too literally. When did these leaders develop the superpower of mind reading. How all of a sudden do they know what the other people are thinking about them? Or maybe it's just not in the text that at one point during the 40 days, they went up and said, uh, Mr. Giant, can I just ask you, do I look like a grasshopper to you? Because I got to go back and tell everybody what you think about us. 
If they were that paralyzed by fear, I doubt that they actually had a conversation with any of the people living in the land. They went and spied. What's happening in this moment? Why are they projecting another person's thoughts about them on themselves? And here's why. Because fear does not just change our view of others. It changes what we assume other people think about us. Fear doesn't just change how you will view your neighbor. It will, like it did for me, cause you to think, they're going to think I'm weird if I bring them this food. How do you know that? They're, gonna, they're not going to have enough time for me if I go over there and ask them how they're doing, how their marriage is, ask them if they want to come have a bar. They're not going to have enough time. How do you know that? Because fear will cause us to change what we assume other people think about us. And it's exactly what the Jewish people did in that moment. They thought they knew. They said, we felt like grasshoppers. Okay, that's your perspective based on fear. But to think you know what someone else thinks, have a conversation with them first. And here's the craziest part of their whole story. Years later, we discover that those people living in that land didn't even think that. In fact, as we fast forward, God ends up saying, fine, if you don't want to enter the promised land, because they basically tell him, we're not going, God says, okay, wander the wilderness for 40 years. And then after 40 years, a new generation rises up and Joshua, one of the 12, is in charge. And he sends leaders into the land to go and see what it's like. It's kind of a repeat. Let's do this over. Let's see what happens this time. And they meet up with someone named Rahab. And look at the report that she gives to these spies. It says in Joshua, Rahab said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. Now that doesn't sound like people who are looking at them saying, you grasshoppers, we could crush you at any minute. Their perspective, the Jewish people's perspective of what they thought the people of the land were thinking was completely wrong because they allowed fear to shape their perspective. She goes on and says this, we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. What you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. And look at verse 11. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Does anyone think that this is a little funny, that Rahab, the unbelieving prostitute, seems to have more faith in God than the Jewish people? <laughs> like, what is happening here? She, I think she went to Sunday school and she remembered the lessons. She's like, I know exactly how God led you across the Red Sea. I know what you did to those Amorite kings. And now you've come here. Everyone here is terrified of your presence. And here's what I want you to get from this moment. There is a cycle of fear in your neighborhood and in our world because we are conditioned to live by the cycle of fear. And it is the people of God who know the power of God who break the cycle of fear. Anyone who doesn't know God, as Rahab was in this moment, should be melting in fear. But the people like Caleb should rise up and say, if God is calling us to do this, then God is going to give this to us. Why would God call us to love our neighbors and then say, just be really careful when you do it, man. 
I created that person. I know all about them. That's not our God. Our God has said, go love your neighbor as yourself. And while we might look through a lens of fear, I'm praying that today for all of us, the lens would be broken. I know it's going to happen, bro. Tomorrow, I'm going to have leftover chicken after small group. It's going to happen again. And God's going to give me another opportunity, just like he's going to give you another opportunity this week to love somebody, and we're either going to look through a lens of fear or we're going to follow God's call in our lives. How much would change in your life if tomorrow when you woke up, fear was not the lens through which you looked at your whole life? Isn't that freedom? Isn't that the way you want to live in you? And yet maybe there's this internal struggle that you're feeling. What did we just sing? Run to the Father. Come to God. So the big question then is how practically? Because I don't want today to simply just be a motivational, pepped up message. We're all like, we've got this. We're going to do this. We pull into our driveways. We look out the door and say, get in the house as fast as possible. I think my neighbors are home. They're outside in the front yard. We'll just wait in the car. Anyone ever done that? We'll wait in the car till they go inside so we don't have to accidentally do one of these. Hey, come on. We've all been there. So how do we not just get emotionally driven in this space, but live this out in our lives? And here's how. We look at a man who is so afraid of sharing his faith that he lied to a little girl multiple times. A man named Peter who was asked, do you know Jesus? And he denied knowing him. And then he goes on to write some letters, and we have them today. And he writes to a group of believers who were persecuted and afraid. And here's his word for them that I believe is his word for us. 1 Peter chapter 3. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to? to do good. Isn't that a great question to ask ourselves in the morning? Who is going to harm me if I'm eager to do good? Now, you know what the answer is according to this world? Everyone. Everyone's out to get you. You can't trust anyone. You don't know intentions of any person. You don't know their motivation. And so even if you want to do good, they're just going to use you. Don't waste your time. All right, let's call that out now. That is not God's plan for your life. God's plan is if you're eager to do good, who's going to harm you? And you might say, yeah, but what if I genuinely get harmed? Peter goes on. Peter, who was ultimately martyred for his faith. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. It's a very different perspective to have in our lives. Wow, what if today when you got home, you said, God, even if I suffer for you, I know that there's blessing in it. In God's word, he quotes Isaiah, do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. As I'm praying from our time together today that there is faith that is being filled up in you this morning. Will there be pain? Will there be awkwardness? Will there be those weird moments where you step out to love your neighbor and it's just, it's just so tense and so, of course, there will be. Might you even suffer for doing that? Yeah, because there's never a moment where Jesus said, follow me, it'll be the safest way to live your life. He said, pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. Which implies there will be moments where it's painful, where it hurts like we're dying to follow Jesus, to love people who don't love us, to embrace people, to love our literal neighbor. There will be pain, and there will be blessing. Because if you've ever had the blessing of sharing the gospel with somebody, and they put their faith in Jesus, you know that that is just so beautiful. It is one of God's gifts to us as his people to watch people go from not knowing his love to knowing his love and having their lives changed. 
And here's ultimately how we break fear of others. It's in his last word. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. Now, I want to focus on the first part, but while you're looking, that last part, I wanted to leave because I just want to say, if you are the guy or the girl in your neighborhood and you've got the Turner Burn poster boards and the bullhorn, can you embrace gentleness and respect, please? It's God's word. Like, let's, let's embrace what God call, how God calls us to live, to be gentle and loving and respecting of other people. Okay, that's just like, that's a freebie right there. It's like when you find fries at the bottom of the bag, okay? Somebody pick those up and eat them. Let's talk about the first part, though. Revere Christ as Lord. That word to revere literally means to fear, to respect, to honor, to be in awe of. And what Peter is giving us is this. Our horizontal fear disappears when we begin to fear the Lord. A vertical fear, a healthy fear. And I'm going to talk about in just a minute, not about punishment, not that God's out to get you, not that God is angry with you, but a honoring to say, Lord, you, you are in control. That's what it means when someone is Lord. You are in control. You do have power. You do have authority. And so as I step out, because your Holy Spirit is saying, go love your neighbor. As I step out, I know that you're in full control of this moment. Nothing can take place outside of your Lordship because I revere you in that way. Wouldn't that change the way we begin to live our lives and interact with others? Come on, at your jobs, if you're married in your marriages and your singleness and your parenting, if we were to say, Jesus, you are in full control of this moment, and so I will trust you. I will have confidence here. I will have hope here. Fear, horizontal fear, begins to disappear in our lives. That's what Peter is saying. That's, that's how the fear barrier is broken in our lives. We revere Christ as Lord. We look to him. As I was preparing this message this week, I got to this point in my notes and I sat back and I, I just, I didn't know how it should end. Like I was, I was just asking the Holy Spirit, I was like, how does this end now? Like where, where do you take this? This is yours. And I actually had to just sit for a while and it's, beyond, this is a little peek into my, my day. It's frustrating when I don't know how to end it because I'm like, all right, where do we go now? And I felt like the Holy Spirit so clearly just reminded me of a promise that's found in Scripture. And you might know it. And if you do, you can say it with me before it goes on the screen. Perfect love casts out all fear. Perfect, the perfect love. I felt the Holy Spirit saying the thing that we need to understand the most if we are to love our neighbors is the perfect love of God. 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love, it drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. This is a very challenging verse if we were to really process it. And I want you to write 1 John 4, 18 down. And this week, in your silence and your stillness and your being with God, just, just dwell and meditate. We talked about meditation last week and mindfulness. Just be mindful of this and meditate on this because there is so much here. Let me share a little bit with you. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. 
If I am to look at that, then in the moments where I am afraid, unhealthy fear, I'm not allowing God's perfect love in my life. And so in that moment, I don't condemn myself and neither does God condemn me, but rather he invites me to know greater depths of the perfect love of God. Man, what you and I need to do in order to love others, especially the hard-to-love people, the EGRs, extra grace-required people, <laughs> right? In order for us to do that, we need to know greater depths of the love of God. I don't need to just brush things under the rug and say, I guess I have to love them. No, I need to sit in stillness and say, Father, would you show me greater depths of your perfect love? Because I'm not perfect, but you are. There is no fear in love. Why? What did it say? Fear has to do with punishment. And what we know from the gospel is that Jesus was punished in our place on the cross, so we no longer have to be afraid. And you may have neighbors right now which are living through a lens of fear, and if they don't know God, the gospel declares that apart from Jesus, the wages of sin is death, there is punishment for our sin, but the free gift of God is grace. It is salvation through Jesus. Punishment has to do with fear. You and I will never know how someone's life in this world could be impacted by us sharing our faith with them, by us loving them. We may see parts of it, but it's hard to see the whole picture of what God is going to do. And I want to share this with you as we close. Rahab, the prostitute, the unbelieving one, the one who said our hearts have melted in fear because of your presence. She was apart from God in that moment. She wasn't Jewish. She wasn't entitled to the blessing or the covenant. And she was a prostitute. Pretty messy life. Did you know from that moment of those leaders going into the land, honoring God, they end up going back in and she is saved. Her and her household. All because these two went in and did not allow fear to be their lens. A family was saved and Rahab makes it into the family tree of Jesus. When you read the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew and Luke, you see that Rahab is one of his ancestors. Guys, how big is that for us? That is the why behind why we share our faith. There are lost people all around us and God has a good plan for their lives and you and I might never know how God's gonna use them and change them, but he's calling us to step out and love them. That's why. And you just read and you see all of a sudden, anytime the family of Jesus, the son of David is referenced, there will be Rahab the prostitute. Because people chose not to let fear stop them, but to step out in love. What might God do with us in our neighborhoods? We can't even imagine it. And so here's the call for today. The worship team can join me as we get ready to respond with one more song. The call is this. It's not for us to dismiss all fear because the Holy Spirit gives us wisdom and discernment. It is for us to say, is the fear that I'm allowing to shape me self-produced and ultimately selfish and to bring that to God? Today, we want to sing a song that reminds us the one thing that remains in our lives is the love of God. That because our debt has been paid, we can be confident in the great love of our God. How many are thankful for that truth this morning? That we can be confident that God's love is for us and his love is for your neighbor. And he's calling us to be a backyard church where we go and start to change the landscape of our communities.
and love our neighbors and be intentional and even in the hard moments and for the hard people. We don't allow fear to stop us. And so today, as a church, we are calling out fear. We're saying it's false evidence that appears real. We're saying it has no place in the life of a believer. That while the news and Netflix and media and those who don't know God live under this fear mentality, it is broken in our lives today. Today we begin to take steps towards healthy living, towards trusting our God. And listen, you're going to have burger moments. I'll call mine that. We're all going to have those moments where, man, it's just so overwhelmed by fear. In those moments, God is not condemning. There is no place for guilt or shame. Jesus has taken that to the cross for us. So we come to the Father and we say, your love remains in my life. Come on, let's stand up. Let's worship the Lord together in this song. I want to invite you to put your faith in him this morning. If you don't know Jesus as Savior, you're hearing that there's this call to put your faith, to say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. I surrender to you. Gospel says, the good news, that apart from Jesus, we are lost in our sins. But he came to this world to die for us so that white, what we might be made brand new. We might be born again. And this morning, I'm inviting you to put your faith in him. Romans 10.9 says, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised Christ from the dead, we will be saved. And here's a moment for you to believe and confess. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray and make these words your own. If you want to know Jesus this morning, begin to tell him, Jesus, save me from my sins. Make me brand new. I want to know your grace today. I want to know your love today. I don't want that punishment that you took for me. So I confess my need for you right now. And Lord, I pray for every person in this space and online. God, we live in a world that is conditioning us to be afraid. We live in a society where there are so many unpleasant emotions that are on the rise and unhealthy responses to those emotions. And Lord, we are saying today, fear is driven out by the perfect love of Jesus. And so we ask for a greater depth of understanding of your perfect love. We come against this spirit of fear right now in the name of Jesus that it cannot prevail any longer. That in the moments where you call us to love, to forgive, to serve, to give, to honor others, that it would all flow from a revering Christ as Lord. Now we worship you with this song. We sing out that your love is higher than any mountain that it is deeper, that it is stronger than anything we face. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give him a shout of praise in this moment. Let's sing this song out to Jesus. He has a good plan for our lives. This is what remains, his love.